0: Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk, back again with you guys for another episode of our Let's Talk Arsenal series. Uh, joining you during this international break, very happy to be with you. Um, of course on Thursdays we usually do uh, an Eat Sleep Arsenal repeat show, but because it's the international break and uh, I was kind of like, yeah, let's just do a spontaneous Let's Talk Arsenal show, so I dropped a message uh, to my good friend Guy Clark, who joins us, audio producer at the Athletic and EFL football commentator. How are we doing, mate? you good, you well.
1: Yeah, good evening. Yeah, great to uh, great to be with you. Not been a while, but yeah, no, brilliant to uh, brilliant to to be back and, and thanks for
0: getting in touch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know if you've seen, but we're now just under three thousand subs from hitting a hundred th- k on the Arsenal way. Now it's been a lot of while since you were over there. But, yeah, we're very close. <laughs> we're very close. Remember
1: remember launching that like it was yesterday. Yeah, no, what a you know, real privilege to be involved in that and to, to see the, the channel continue to go from strength to strength. Um, yeah, it's, it's been the source of much pride.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's been some great work Umar in particular has done uh, behind the scenes. And, uh, you know, the people that have, have helped start that and have, have moved on to other things in the journey and the people that have joined along the way as well, it's been a great team effort. And, yeah, hopefully, before the end of the year, we'll be celebrating a, a YouTube plaque. And I, I think Umar probably deserves it more right Yeah, I, th- I think
1: Umar definitely. Definitely does. I think
0: uh, we'll certainly be handed. We'll do a, We'll have to do a group photo at some point and do a team thing. But uh, uh, we're. Uh, if you are enjoying the content here, uh, we've just got a measly fifty two thousand here. If you want to check, continue to subscribe and drop a like and help our way to one hundred k one day, who knows? But please do. But uh, we're here to, this evening to have a chat about Arsenal's season so far because, you know, what's interesting about this guy is that I felt like after the Fulham game. And then again, after the Spurs game, we had like these mini meltdowns as a fan base. I heard things like Arsenal had regressed and that were worse than they were last season. And yet after eight games, we sit joint top having just beaten Manchester City. So how would you kind of evaluate Arsenal's season so far?
1: I think, I think it's been as good as can be expected. I think to, for the season last year to finish in the manner it did, to then pick themselves up and remain unbeaten as they have done, you're not going to last season The start to last season what was it I mean in sort of at this period of time obviously the season started a week earlier I think Arsenal had won eight of nine games had lost the game away at Manchester United which was really unfortunate to have lost the manner in in which that defeat came around at Old Trafford but that was that was a freak. That isn't normal. That normal teams don't do that every single season. You might point to Liverpool, what, four seasons ago, doing something similar and say, Well, someone else has done it in the not too distant future, but forget about it. To to fall away as Arsenal did at the end of last season. And the psychological blow for what is a very young team to have actually responded in the manner they have, I think has really been mightily impressive. And Arteta was talking about it, wasn't he? The manager after the Man City game saying we need to go through or needed to go through experiences. He was mainly talking about defeats to Man City in the past, one of which really crushing at the Etihad back in April, said we need to go through these experiences as a young group to to grow and learn and be able to develop and, and push forward. And I think that's that's exactly what we've seen.
0: Yeah, we have developed. I think there was a real need to grow and and evolve. You know, I remember at the start of the season when Partey was playing right back, or you know, it kind of was like a hybrid fullback midfield role. And there was a lot of backlash to that. You know, especially after the Fulham game where we 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 dropped points, and it felt as though kind of you know three games in, we've already dropped points, and there's all this expectation after last season about where things are going. Do you, do you feel as though that? After what happened last season, which I remember when we were, you know, on the Arsenal way at the beginning of that campaign and talking about what Arsenal were doing. And we kind of felt that, yes, it was, you know, it was a surprise and that we were overachieving in a way. But even though we overachieved in everybody's minds, it then led to an expectation for this season that we have to challenge for a title. Do you think that was a fair expectation?
1: Um Ultimately, I think if, if Arsenal want to be the club Arsenal want to be, then yeah, that's mm. that's got to be the level of expectation that you do have to compete. Now, the likes of Man City and Liverpool have set the bar so high that you do have to be at it straight from the get-go. Because unless you're going to go and put together a winning run of 14 to 16 games in a season, you need to be constantly churning over the points total and and at least wanting to hit sort of mid-90s in terms of of points to be where they want to be. I mean, that is the expectation for Arsenal. But equally, the team's come a long way in a very short period of time. And I think there's one lesson to take from last season, which I think if it turned it back on you and said, what would you rather, Arsenal start like a steam train and fall away or Arsenal keep a gradual pace of turning over the points and are there into the first week of May rather than having fallen away? we're both going to give the the same answer and it's, it's not starting how last season started.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think from what we've, you know, and also there was, what I was frustrated about the start of the season was that a player that played such a key part in pre-season that had come in with such excitement in jury and timber is lost to us immediately. I, I felt as though, you know, throughout the course of the season, because he was lost so early, it's almost been forgotten about quite quickly but he was used in every single preseason game he's available for. And then the community shield, which he was at a really good performance against Man City. And he started off that game against Nottingham Forest really well. We were two, two new up, you know, with him in the sides. He's then out, injured. And now we're trying to change things around. Partey staying at right back, of course. I think your Tomiyasu and Timber had been three different left-back options. And then Zinchenko, I think we'd use one in each game, I think. Did Kivio play the, the Fulham game? I think maybe. I think he started that game at left-back, if memory serves me correctly. Tommy Asu definitely started against Palace because he was sent off. And I think Kivio came in and then Zinchenko came in uh, after that Fulham game. But how much of a blow was that timber injury? And were you frustrated that Arsenal didn't go into the market when it was still open to replace him?
1: no I wasn't I wasn't it, it was a blow but I wasn't frustrated they didn't then go and buy a player for the sake of it maybe I was a little bit disappointed that tierney moved on had that I don't think that mm. had been confirmed by the time timber did the injury had it but again tierney's then a different player tierney's kind of your your traditional left back um i find it Incredible how how his stock sort of fell away. Of kind of thinking what the the end of two seasons ago, we're talking about who's going to be the next Arsenal captain, and I think probably Strawpole would probably have had eighty percent of Arsenal fans saying it would be Kieran Tierney. And then all of a sudden he falls away at the end of that season. Erdegaard comes to the fore and it is Martin Erdegaard. And now it looks like there was never never really any debate around it. Um no, I wasn't I wasn't disappointed. I, I did really think it was a blow losing Timber because I think what Timber offers is that ability to step in field. He looks so comfortable on the ball, he can p- clearly play at right back as well, albeit the flashes we saw of him were at left back. It, it, it was a real blow. I think that is where the, the one question over Zinchenko has been. I mean, for managers at the top end of the Premier League now, it is all about control. They are control freaks. Pep Guardiola, uh, Roberto De Zerbi, Mikel Arteta, even Jurgen Klopp, the way in which his style of management has changed from coming into the Premier League, being a, a and pressing all-out attacking coach to changing fundamentally the way he looks to get his side playing to make it more about controlling each phase of play and that was exactly what Timber brought to the team. Zinchenko offers that but I do think we've seen lapses defensively from Zinchenko where he isn't a natural defensively minded player but he does have wonderful and brilliant technique. Losing Timber means there are fewer options there now but yeah no personally I I, I think you build a squad for the purpose of having a squad and if it means someone like Kivy or maybe has to get more fast-tracked into first team exposure quicker fundamentally, he's he's part of the squad. He needs to to show he's capable of stepping up.
0: Absolutely. And and I think, you know, I think Zinchenko stood up a lot this season. I think that, uh, you know, for that small amount of time that Partey was at right back, I saw numerically an improvement. You know, I tried to convince people after the Fulham game that there were real signs of, of progression after that fixture. There was, you know, our XG was up on the average of last season. Our chance creation was up. Our pressure's um, per defensive action was up from last season. Partey's individual stats across the board were all up on his performances from last season as well. There was method in what people would describe as madness in what Arteta was trying to do. It's just it hadn't clicked yet and it didn't look smooth and, you know, and seamless because we hadn't attuned ourselves to it yet and, and the team was still experimenting with it. But I think what that period and throughout the course of this season has shown is how important it was that we beat Manchester City to the signing of Declan Rice, who has been utterly brilliant in that midfield. I mean, when we signed him, and when it's not even when we signed him, it was when David Ornstein reported that Man City had pulled out of the race and that kind of Arsenal had beaten off that competition. That, to me, was such a signal that Arsenal had had reached another level. Forget the fact that we even challenged for a title last season. The fact that we're beating City to £100 million players, showed me that we were reaching that next level. I mean, what have you made of the not only just the saga to get him, but his impact on the team this season?
1: No, it's it's been a statement of intent all round, hasn't it? I mean, you're just talking there about kind of playing party at right back. Fundamentally, part of the reason that's been able to happen. I know he did it right at the end of last season, but he's having Rice in there in the midfield. And the, the whole idea about it... He's putting more players into the midfield to then have an extra body as well to push forward. So Arsenal can break teams down more efficiently. As you say, numbers and metrics have all been up. But unfortunately, certainly that Fulham game, I mean, an underlying issue of last season, which I'm hoping off the back of the City game, which might might be too, too sweeping a conclusion to draw, is the fact we can start keeping clean sheets at home again. That would be really nice. Um, because for, for too long that wasn't happening. But in terms of Declan Rice, yes, yeah, statement all round. After after Arsenal played West Ham around the, the turn of last year, I remember thinking to myself, if Arsenal are serious and want to be sort of taken to that next level, they need to make Declan Rice the number one priority. And to me, it was a pipe dream. I didn't, I didn't have any realistic ambition of thinking it could happen. It was one of those things of thinking, can you imagine if Arsenal could pull off that signing? And in the end, they have. And... I think it's the perfect fit all round. He's a player who still has a lot of room to develop going from playing for a side like West Ham United, where he was kind of Roy of the Rovers, the, the guy who had the armband strapped to his left bicep and ran around the pitch like a madman trying to pull the strings, tried to be blocking absolutely everything. And at Arsenal, he's, he's going to need to refine his game as time goes on. But I think what we've seen even in these early weeks is a a midfield player who is complete in every aspect. I I personally think he's probably the midfielder. Arsenal thought they were signing when they got Granit Xhaka back in 2016 and everyone thought, this is the midfielder that's going to complete the set for us. He's going to be physically imposing. He's going to get up and down the pitch. He's going to bully teams and he's going to allow us in those big games to not have to put an extra number into the midfield to, to try and get superiority, but will not only hold his own, but lift those in that engine room around him. And I think that's exactly what Rice has done. And to me, it, it was no real surprise. We were drawing at half-time in the North London derby, but second half of it, he goes off. And not to single out Jorginho, because I think he's added to Arsenal in different ways since he came in. But we didn't have control of that second half in a manner in which I think we would have done if, if Rice had stayed fit and stayed on the pitch
0: i certain that had Rice stayed on that we would have won that game. You know, not because obviously Jorginho comes on and makes the mistake, but just the amount of control that we would have had to be, be able to impose ourselves as, as, as Spurs tired and have a player that can go the full 90 as well as he usually can. So gutting that North London derby because it just felt like everything that could go wrong went wrong. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but you know, we, and we're still
1: true and, we, and we're still unbeaten. Yeah. And and that that's the point you mentioned. You mentioned the Fulham game, even, even the Forest game won that first game of the season and I saw a reaction on, on Twitter. Of people. Mm. Oh, it's not quite clicking. It's not quite right. It doesn't matter. It does not matter how Arsenal put points on the board at this stage of the season. So long as that's what they do and come March, come April, are coming over the hill and then are hitting their straps. City last season up till the World Cup and even after it, I don't think they'd won three, maybe four games on the bounce in the Premier League until maybe March time and then all of a sudden they clicked into gear. They go and win a treble and all were, people will ever remember now for the rest of time about that season is City won a treble and therefore they must have been absolutely fantastic the whole way through
0: yeah I mean the the Spurs game I kind of summed up as like at Spurs's ceiling and Arsenal's floor it ends in a 2-2 draw and that tells you where the two teams are at right now is that yes they're both joint top I think there's such a fortuitousness about where Spurs are you know the the Liverpool benefit they got with that Diaz controversy, the mistakes Arsenal made in the game that basically gifted them a point, the fact they've played all three promoted teams already so far this season and scraped past Sheffield United and Luton, yeah. despite going down to 10 men in, in the latter game. Um, they Obviously, they they beat Burnley quite comfortably, but Burnley, I think, have... have Been really poor this year, way more than people expected them to be. I think there was a lot of expectation about how they came up from the championship and the work the company had done, but they've been, they've lacked that defensive edge that they had under Sean Dyche and they've tried to play football and got punished for it uh, so many times. And, And the other game was, I mean, they drew up Brentford in a game where, you know, Brentford haven't been particularly good this season either. And arguably, Brentford probably should have won that game because they had the chances to win it. And Luton, I felt, you know, how Luton didn't score and that open goal that uh, Adebayo missed as well. There's another game, I think, in there. Was it it Fulham? Did they play for Bournemouth? I think they beat uh, as well. Um, And Bournemouth, pretty terrible, as we've proven when we went down there and, you know, not fall past them. So, I I think it's, uh, I think ultimately it is a little bit of an elephant at the top of the tree with Spurs and eventually that tree will bend and snap and that elephant will come crashing down and hopefully Arsenal are there to pick up the pieces and and continue forwards and onwards. I mean, the other team that have been in the mix a little bit has been Liverpool this season. I think they've been better than they were last season, but still lack. There's something still lacking about them. What have you made of them being touted as the other real competitor in this title race? it's bizarre with
1: liverpool isn't it because they they seem to have this propensity to go from looking absolutely imperious and sweeping all aside the of them almost completing a quadruple only a couple of seasons ago and yet the next year they then completely fall away a couple of seasons before that they nearly sorry they'd won the league then the covid pandemic football year hit they had a, a lot of injuries in defence but then they 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 fell right away recovered to finish third They've got a know-how and steeliness within that side that once they begin to get on a roll, they could be difficult to stop. Equally, defensively, they they are shaky. The, the amount of times they concede the first goal in games and still have that power to recover, you wonder with maybe a bit of an ageing side in, in places, albeit they have done a lot to refresh that, that that muscle memory may eventually begin to wane and they might find it harder to come back into games. But I think with Liverpool, they, they are just the kind of side who it very much is kind of each game as it comes. And as I say, once they once they get on a roll, I mean, what what was it before they, they lost to Spurs? Was it 17 games unbeaten across the back end of last season and, and start of this season? They were the longest yeah. unbeaten side in the Premier League, yet within that run, there seem to be a lot of fragility about it yet like yeah. i say they have that muscle memory of being able to do it so i definitely wouldn't discount liverpool i think it i think as it's shaping up right now it is it is city arsenal and liverpool you would have to say are contenders spurs are there but what at the moment do we have as a as a kind of historical sort of benchmark to compare spurs to where they should be looking to to hit i think if if you offered a spurs fan right now fifth place which looks like it could be enough this season to get a champions league spot would they take it i'd say most probably would to get in the champions league i, I wouldn't have thought despite their start to the season that there is too much expectation that a serious title challenge can be mounted but equally look at look at what we did last season um so You can't rain on their parade of of them being where they are, as much as it pains to say, given actually Arsenal last season managed to pull together a title race from a a not very uh, convincing position the year before.
0: No, it's a fair point. It's absolutely a fair point. Uh, Lloyd says here, for me, the way we play now shows a lot of maturity and growth as a team. We don't have to be the beautiful team all the time. Uh, That was one of the reasons we lost last season as we left ourselves open at the back. And, you know, speaking of of how we have defended that game against Man City, I think, you know, highlighted that I think the last few times we tried to play Man City, we tried to beat them at their own game. We've tried to play attacking football. We've tried to, you know, hurt them. And we've seen teams like Liverpool successfully do that, you know, and, and, and beat Manchester City. We've seen Tottenham obviously hit them on the counter and and hurt them in that way but Arsenal didn't play like either of, I felt, the way that Liverpool succeeded and the way that Spurs have succeeded I think it was a really combative industrious display that restricted City to the amount of chances that they ultimately created which was zero in the case of Erling Haaland uh, and ultimately when our chances fell for us they weren't frequent but in the end it proved kind of a deflected goal, taking a shot when it came to you and um, a really inspired bit of running by Takahiro Tomiyasu and then the layoff from Havertz as well. But what did that win teach you about what this Arteta side is capable of? To me, it it taught me that
1: we can... There there are base principles to to what Arteta wants to do and how he wants Arsenal to play. And I've thought a long while, whilst he's been Arsenal manager, there has been certain levels of stubbornness that have come back to, to bite him or... Certainly in the early days, it seemed to be more around man management and s- stubbornness that I, I'm I'm happy to admit. I, I thought he was sort of going over the mark sometimes with the, the level of players that were always kind of seemingly being ostracised, whether that was Gendouzi, whether it was Bamiyang, It seemed to me like it was very gung-ho in that respect. And to that point last season, I think we kind of had our way of playing. And it almost by the end of the season, even when it was beginning to go a bit wrong, was kind of, no, we have so much conviction in what we're doing. We're going to stick to it no matter this season. I think fundamentally for me, what's what the change has been, we no longer have a starting 11. The idea of having a first choice 11 is redundant when you're playing 50, 55 plus games in a season or if that's what you're aiming to do, because you're not going to get that 11 on a pitch any more than maybe, say, 20 times through the course of a campaign. So the idea that Arteta clearly has gone away this summer and done and loaded up in the transfer market is let's build a squad that gives me the options, horses for courses to win the games we need to win. Now, effectively by putting Wrights out into that left-hand central midfield role that Xhaka played last season, Jack was very much more offensive in that role. And whilst he was robust, you didn't really want him getting too much involved in the defensive side of the the game because we'd seen over over the years that positionally he, he wasn't really disciplined enough to carry it out. But against Man City, by clogging up the midfield effectively with having Jorginho and Rice in there, showed an ability to be able to try and win control of the game. We might not have controlled the game in terms of possession, but as you say there, we allowed City to have the ball in the areas of the pitch that weren't going to damage us and we were able to control the ball without controlling possession of the ball. And then when we did get it, yeah, they weren't, they weren't a great... I'm not going to say it was like one of the performances for the ages because it wasn't, but what no. it was was a performance that was needed and required to get over the line in a big game in the manner in which we haven't done for a very, very long time. I mean, ultimately, the last two seasons have boiled down to away games at Spurs and Man City where we've gone into them hopeful that we can arrive at one of these big occasions and that hasn't happened. Now, we've done it at home against Man City. The challenge is now we've played City at home. We've also played Manchester, uh, sorry, we've played City, Spurs and United all at home. We've got a great points tally for what we've got so far, but what it needs to be is the foundations being set to go and do that in away games and carry that template out in hostile environments.
0: I I found some of the almost backlash from people after the game toward, you know, like, I think I saw someone on TalkSport, I can't remember who it was, saying kind of like it was a nil-nil result that Arsenal got quite fortunate in to get uh, the goal. I've seen other people say that, you know, the lacking of Rodri and De Bruyne was really pivotal. And I can't help but just think sometimes that Arsenal are or that there's elements of the media that are, you know, as two people are involved in the media, I feel more than, you know, equipped to, to, to accuse other people within it of not giving Arsenal enough credit sometimes. I feel like we're just so, sometimes we are so obviously treated in a different way to teams like Tottenham sometimes, and Liverpool, and to some degree Man United as well, I think. What is this reluctance to give Arsenal their flowers? I don't know. Does it fall into a respect of
1: Arsenal having a very social media engaged support base that it seems to be point scoring the whole time? So when Arsenal do something good, it's let's let's hold it back because we we, we know inevitably it's going to come back in their face and effectively we can wind people up. I, I don't really know. I, I, I do get kind of what you say there. Like I watching the game on Sunday, I, I did. I was watching it, thinking, right, at seventy-five minutes. Right, do I settle? Do we settle for a point now? Do we accept that and say, right, that's okay? We move on. And then I think when we made the change, we made City made their change, and it didn't really seem to take them anywhere in the game. Yeah, our change, our changes happened, and Martinelli coming on at half time. I always felt as though we had something in us that an opportunity would arise. And I mean, you've seen over the, the last calendar year the amount of sort of late shows that Arsenal put on at the Emirates I think it was foolish to discount anything like that happening um, and yeah it was it was a lucky goal it took a deflection but at the end of the day it was Arsenal decide who were showing the aggression to push on and at the end of the day got got their dessert got got what they deserved within that in terms of sort of wider acclaim it's it's frustrating it's a bit irritating that it happens but l- let them let them and and let's just hope that by the end of it it's Arsenal who get the get the flowers in the in the true respect of those medals being handed out
0: yeah Cesar says uh it's because we're a big club and uh they hate big clubs uh, no one talks about City because they don't have the large fan base to get the attention um that you know Arsenal's do and yeah you we know, I am happy to admit we are one of the most reactionary fan bases on the planet you know we we are a WhatsApp group's dream with how much we bite um, because, you know, we do. And uh, it's it's great for engagement. Um, and uh, we know that we're subject to it quite a lot. Uh, thank you so much, everybody that's been throwing in questions throughout, by the way. We are going to move on to a bit of a and a section for the last 15, 20 minutes or so of the show. So keep throwing them into the chat and we'll go through as many of them as we can. Uh, sticking with Caesar um from just now, he says, would you consider would sorry, would y'all uh consider Arteta a defensively minded coach or an offensively minded coach?
1: Uh, I, I would say he's an offensively minded coach with pragmatic tendencies which mm. lean, lean towards defensive stuff. I think you saw that when he first came in, the idea was, yeah. right, let's, let's solidify things and, and not be foolish and not get caught out. I mean, you got to remember, this is a guy who played in an Arsenal team that Arsene Wenger was gonna die by his principles. And we went away to a lot of big stadiums and took a lot of maulings, which I gather-
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. And the same goes at McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with Mook Delivery. Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
1: other arteta didn't probably take too kindly to, and a lot of those people might remember kind of, it became a yearly thing it felt during the early 2010s that a, Towards the back end of the season, a players' summit would be called at Colney, and the players would say, "Right, this is enough. We need to sort things out." And we'd go on a bit of a late-season charge. And it seems as though Arteta was one of the guys who was quite instrumental in those of trying to set standards, even as a player. And yeah, I think that's kind of how it is. He he knows and understands if you want to be a top team, you need to play on the front foot. But equally, he's not going to just throw caution to the wind in every respect. And sometimes needs to have a game plan and and an ability to to break down an opponent. And that might be seen occasionally as defensive. Don't know your thoughts, Tom.
0: Yeah, I remember when he first came in, there was a lot of kind of question marks about what is Arteta's style. And I think a lot of his critics used the fact that they just couldn't really see what he was trying to do. And I think that the, the reason for that was because he inherited such a broken, fractured group of players that Unai Emery had, Really, kind of pummeled in some ways, in some players' cases, into kind of this lack of creative, like just inspiration. Um, And you're right, you know, he switched to a back three. Um, Kieran Tinney was often part of that back three as well. Make the Niles obviously played in that wing back position, but we had, say, Kalasnach sometimes involved in that Monreal, was it Monreal? I think he left by that point. but I know that we played plenty of left-backs in kind of that left centre-half position of the back three to try and give us both mobility and fluidity, but also defensive security as well. And it worked to win an FA Cup, you know, and I always look at that FA Cup as a massive achievement that really doesn't get the credit that it deserves because it wasn't his team. It was something inherited. And I think the backwards way to look at that, and sometimes some of Arteta's biggest critics use this and they're like... Well, he did it with, it wasn't his team. It was Emery's team that he won that with. And I'm like, that's more of an achievement than if he'd have done it with his own group because it was a coaching masterclass in how he set Arsenal up and got them playing. Yes, Aubameyang was a key figure in that. But in, in essence, I think he won that in really impressive fashion with his style and with his changes that he made. And eventually we've seen an evolution to a side that has got a definitive style that uses the... Um, the wide areas so offensively and so dangerously, and has now brought in a centre-forward in Jesus that brings together kind of the... is a bit of a glue and a connective of... Um, what were those... Um... <laughs> it's a really bad analogy. Do you remember when you were younger and those toys you had that had like all the pieces that were like clicked together to build like these really strange structures? I so come up with it, they were, caught, yeah,
1: um... yeah, I, I, yeah I, I, I can't say Tom. I thought you know about it, they were actually, like long, long... Yeah, yeah, I know, like, I know
0: what you mean, and, like, the long, like plastic um, like grids, I guess. But there was like one circular one that has like loads of like spokes in it to attach loads to, and that's like Je- Jesus, he just kind of brought everything together. Is it yeah. Meccano? I don't think it was Meccano. That was the metallic one where you should just screw in. It was something different to that. It was more of a plastic. They were plastic. They weren't metal. Yeah, yeah, little plastic. Um, but uh, yeah, and you had like the little connections. And I see like Jesus is that connective thing that, that brings everything together. And that's why when we, we might talk about transfers, if someone's asked about it, but when we look to bring in another centre forward in the future, I say, well, I'm not really that in favour of an Ivan Tony because I just think we need someone that's more collaborative um, as a center forward, uh, I'm glad that Guy agrees with me on that. Um, Arsenal Adventure says, Guy, do you think that we still have another gear to go and we are still keeping it in reserve in the attack until we reach the perfect harmony between midfield, defence and attack?
1: I'd hope so. And I hope that's that's the the idea of a campaign. Through the course of a campaign, you grow stronger. And... Things begin to to develop and and come together within that the, the the different sections of the team knitting together and I think that's the that's the area of it it, it clicking and and working in that regard is said before I don't think that there's an idea of having a a one to eleven like there definitely has been over the last few seasons I mean Havertz playing in midfield Havertz playing up front Partey playing up right back into midfield having all of these different options for these different games it's just waiting for that cohesion to build up within the system that was definitely there. I mean, last season, there was times at the beginning of the season where you felt the players could probably play with their eyes closed, but it was probably about 13 players we could rely on to do that. Whereas now, it's a case of trying to build that across the squad and hopefully, as the season goes on, we get stronger and it it obviously, hopefully, ends in silverware.
0: Yeah. Uh, thank you to more than a wheelchair in the chat. It's Kinex. Connex is what it was. Um, I just Googled it and it's all come flooding back my childhood. So, yes, <laughs> uh, that's what I was thinking of. I don't know what stickle bricks is. I've never heard of that. Have you heard of that? No, I can't stickle say Stickle bricks. I'm having a look. Uh, they're kind of similar. They're the ones that are like really spiky and they just kind of, wherever you put them, they'll stick together. But yeah, Connects uh, was definitely uh, wheelchair. What I was talking about. So thank you for reminding me. Uh, I remember
1: that. stickle bricks. Yeah, I didn't know that was the name for them. But yeah, no, I I, I very much remember those from my childhood. There
0: you go. You've just got a newborn. Maybe you want to invest in some, yeah, uh, some maybe, bricks.
1: <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe that's and, and pass it off. Yeah pass it off I haven't
0: thought about connects in years that's amazing how that's (laughs) come back to me Uh, Ethan says uh, which competition does that kind of performance against City take us further in the Champions League or the Premier League it's an interesting question actually
1: yeah really interesting I think the manner of the performance is very encouraging for knockout football over Mm. two legs um Equally, in the Premier League, it gave us three points. So, if it gives us three points more often than not in those big games... And I think, at the end of the day, last season, if you look at the head-to-head with Manchester City, we finished five points behind them. We won one of those two matches. We would have been champions if, if you're going to be basic in that regard. Um So, I mean, it gives us a huge psychological boost in the league. But the manner of that actual kind of performance, Ethan, I, I, would, I would say knockout competition, it is definitely kind of performance you'd, you'd like to see more of.
0: So I think it's a really interesting point. I think there's benefits to both, obviously. But, you know, you think about those games that you, know, you say you've got a lead going to the Bernabeu or something like that. You know, that's the type of performance that you're going to see just get you a, a, a draw that takes you through. So, yeah, that, that's really, really interesting indeed. Um, Grantley Poos says, do you not think it's just new players getting to know each other and the way that Arteta wants them to play? Also, we look like we have a plan. Uh, a plan A and a plan B uh, of playing now with a bench that matters as well. I suppose that's in relation to what we were talking about, kind of about the um, the not necessarily looking like we've clicked yet and having a gear to go still. Do you think it's just because it's... Learned... Do you think it's because of the new players that are coming like Rice and Havertz, and uh, players yeah, like 100... Or do you think it's more so the change of philosophy in some ways?
1: No, 100%. I, I think one informs the other. I think Arteta either wanted to move away and have sort of more options that he could he could throw in and therefore we see the investment we do in the summer or players became available that Arteta then went, you know what, this can help us take us to the next level. I I think it's crucial. Yeah. I mean, like look at City, for example. City for the last sort of two seasons have had kind of at least four top class wide players and wingers that through any stage of a season, all of a sudden, Phil Foden started last season like a house on fire, scored a hat trick in a Manchester Derby. And by March, April time, we'd all forgotten about him and everyone was saying Jack Grealish was the best winger in the league. Bernardo Silva popped up on the right and took Riyad Mahrez's space. Like, they had players who could come in and do different roles at different times and change the way they played. With Bernardo and Grealish, they were much more of a technical side who kept the ball, suffocated opposition with controlling in the latter stages of a season. With uh, Foden and Mahrez in the first half of the season, they were there to try and blow teams away and and try and build some kind of lead and and really take games to opponents. So it's about having different options. And I think the most underrated thing within sort of team sports or within any team sport, but certainly within football, it's cohesion. It's the idea of the players being able to build up a muscle memory of how they all operate. I mean, you look at the relationship that someone like Martin Odegaard has with the players that he plays in and around him. Last season, when he was brought out the team and Fabio Vieira was brought in, all of a sudden everyone went, oh, Vieira's no good. Vieira's this, Vieira's that. We've seen this season, Fabio Vieira looks like a very technically proficient player and he's got used to his surroundings around him and looks as though he can be a very effective player. He wasn't used to being within the system he was in. Artin Erdegaard very much was. Now, I'm not saying it's time to drop Erdegaard and put in Vieira instead of him. All I'm saying is I think it it comes for a team where players build up relationships with playing with one another and over time, that only serves to benefit the team.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. And... You know, people. I remember when the parte right back thing was happening. The amount of comments that we would get saying, "Let's just go back to do what we did last season." And and to an extent, we have with the you know the the players that are playing in that back four now with White, Saliba, Gabriel, Zinchenko, Short. Sure. But I still think there are clear differences in the philosophy of what we're trying to do this season and the way in which we're trying to build up playing. And, and that has had, in some ways, a regressive feel about the number of chances that we create in games, which does need to improve. But. If you stand still, you will be overtaken. You'll naturally go backwards because the other teams around you aren't going to watch while you try and get better. Someone else will innovate. Of course, exactly that. Um, It's a process and I know that word gets used so often with Arsenal and now uh, with a lot of other teams as they try and work out their own processes, but it is something that we need to try and and stick with. Uh, a few more questions before we, we close in today's show. More than Will says Would you go for someone like Jared Bowen as competition for Pakai Saka? It would bring great quality off the bench and a massive step up from a player like Reese Nelson.
1: Uh,
0: well, in
1: in terms of Bowen specifically, there's no chances. That he signed a new contract to 2030, mm-hmm. I think, it's a seven-year deal. So that that's not going to happen. I, I get the point...
0: Danny dyer has been a big factor in that deal. <laughs> no which which, which one? <laughs> yeah, which, which one?
1: Um I I'm really not sure about this, you know. This is the one, this is the one area on transfers that conflicts me as to do we need a new right winger. Um mm. my inclination is to say no, because Bakayo Saka plays as many minutes as he does. Now, there's been a lot of talk around that, and if he should be rested more, and therefore, actually, maybe, maybe we should, but You look at a team like Liverpool, and I think Salah is the most comparable example to Saka in terms of his importance to the team. And what Mohamed Salah signed in 2017 at Liverpool, I think he did. So this is his seventh season. I can't remember a backup option that Liverpool have had to him in that wide right position, and yet they've managed to get through pretty much unscathed, and and they've done all right. If he has missed games every so often, they've, they've had players... Jordan Shakiri first off and then someone like Diogo Jota who can fill in. So, Nelson, we put our trust in him. We gave him a new contract in the summer. I think he, he last season more than proved his worth to the team. You've got to have, within a squad that you build, you've got to have the guys who understand their role in the team and when they come in, do step up and do it. And Nelson did. I mean, he he obviously scored that dramatic, dramatic late-winner uh in, in January, the, the start of the year, yeah, against Bournemouth, he, he also got what two off the bench against Forest. Or did sure. he start that game against Forest? I can't remember. No, but...
0: Saka got injured in that game, and there he we go. Came and that's and our
1: the there we go. And that's that's our that's our prime example yeah. here. Um, him him coming in and doing that. Uh Someone like Fabio Vieira could offer a different, much like what I've just said about Mares and and Bernardo Silva at Man City last season. Saka and. Um, Vieira might might fall into that kind of comparison, someone who doesn't quite offer that penetrative threat down the right hand side, and we've seen it on the left, it's worked really well when Trossard's come in for martinelli he's not he's not as dynamic as martinelli he doesn't beat players as well as Martinelli, but what he does is he comes in field and links the play and gives us more controlling games better than what martinelli does so no i would i would I would resist for now i think I don't think there's an urgent need to address it, but I'd be interested to know your thoughts, Tom.
0: Yeah, I, again, I think that it's impossible to get Bowen out of, of uh, West Ham for a reasonable price that would make it worth it for Arsenal. You know, if you were talking 30 to 40, sure, but I think you're going to be looking at 70-plus that West Ham will start asking yeah. for, and I don't think he's worth that, but I think that's what they'll ask for. I think that when a player like Pedro Neto is potentially available, if you're going to bring in a player that can offer a competition to Saka, you want them to be able to play more than just on the right wing, yeah. and Bowen is a right winger and not much else. I know he can play maybe centrally as well, but... Not really. And I, Neto is someone I think that can play across those front three positions and has got the speed that I want to see in a signing that we make in the wide. I really want to see some speed brought in because Trossard doesn't necessarily have that. Nelson does, but lacks kind of the, the high level output. Smith Rowe is for me more of an interior player. Vieira, again, more of an interior player. Um, and Martinelli and Saka really are the only speedsters that we really yeah, have are. in those wide positions. Yeah. So, um, even even
1: when even when Jesus plays out there, he, he, yeah, of all, course, of sudden, yeah. he all of a sudden he all of a looks different play. Yeah, no. I, I agree
0: with you on that. Um Let's go for a couple more. Obviously, as an EFL commentator, maybe you had to comment on this. Temi says, can you please talk about Charlie Patino's prospects next season? Because he's been making waves at Swansea. <laughs> I,
1: remember, I remember we spoke about Charlie Patino at the beginning of last year, going online to Blackpool, and I wasn't yeah. complimentary about it at all. Uh, no, you I, upset I, a
0: few Preston North End fans. with. Uh, no, no,
1: no, I upset a few Blackpool fans. Uh, yeah, sorry, no, Blackpool no, fans. Press, yes, yeah, Preston did. North End yeah. and, and Blackpool are uh, big rivals. And uh, my affiliation is certainly more to to uh, to the Lilywhites than it is the Tangerines, but um, <laughs> in terms of what he's done, I actually saw him play for Swansea at Deepdale earlier this season, and he, he looks like a, a a good player who has great technique and can control matches to a, to an extent at that level. I don't I don't really see where he fits in at Arsenal, if I'm totally honest. I know there was a lot of hype and expectation and hope around what he could offer. But I do kind of feel he might be the full guy in which just how quickly Arsenal developed last season as a team that we might have moved beyond players like him. Obviously, Samby Laconga went out on, on loan to loosen this season. I would be surprised if he sort of came back into the fold. And yeah, I, I just feel that the rate of progression that the club has made is kind of exceeded these guys. I mean, if, if someone like Flo Balogun goes to League 1 last season and hits, what, 17, 18 league goals, and then there isn't place for him, I don't really see where, where Patino fits in.
0: Yeah, no, neither do I. Um, I think, you know, we, as Arsenal fans, very quickly hype up young players. Yeah. Um Really, really do. So many have left the club that people, I mean... Javier Amici, Jeff Rain, Adelaide, you know, the amount of times we've hyped up players and go, why aren't they getting minutes? And now you go, well, where are these guys now? Like, why, yeah. you know, they're not. Even Alex Iwobi, you know, is, is, is not reached. Joe Willett's gone to Newcastle and, you know, I know he's had injury issues, but, you know, and I think that maybe that links into that Emil Smith-Rowe conversation. I love Emil Smith-Rowe. You know, and I think he's produced some brilliant stuff. But for me, he doesn't fit into what Arteta sees as his squad right now. They're really struggling to kind of find a role for him. And when you kind of go, would I rather have somebody on the bench that Arteta is going to use and really wants or Smith-Rowe? Well, it might be a difficult answer, but I think the obvious answer is you'd rather have the player that he's going to use and that fits.
1: Yeah, coming back to Arteta's management in this regard, I mean, you sort of touching on how he won the FA Cup with someone else's team, I think, was a blueprint a blueprint and a real sort of cause for excitement about how this guy can manage and, and get, get us over the line maybe when it counts further down the line when he has put his team together. And the other thing has been how how ruthless and how well the the, the talent sort of ID has been from Arsenal to to bring in the players they have to push on to those next levels. I mean the only the only way I see it working for Smith Rowe is probably if Trossard were to move on, but Trossard's not even been at the club a year and there's not really an indication that he is going to be moving on. So I I kind of agree with you. I, I feel that Smith-Rowe's injuries through last season were probably then sort of um sort of sort of put put the stoppers on his involvement real crucial moments for arsenal because they they needed to go and get an extra body at that time there wasn't time to wait and Trossard came in and Trossard has done really well i mean i was i was probably head of the Joe Willock fan club when he was he was at yeah, the club I was I was so disappointed to see him leave. And to be honest, I actually look at the Arsenal team now and think if if we wanted another midfield player, I actually think Willock would be a a brilliant player to bring in. In fact, I think he'd probably... (laughs) Not let me go. No, I think think he... I, I, I I do honestly think looking at it... I know he's been injured this season, so he's hardly played. But he plays in that left side number eight role that a lot of people say Smith Rowe will, that he's never really quite either been given the chance to or if he has, hasn't been able to take it. And yet, Willock also occasionally would play out wide on the left, which is, is where Smith Rose plays. So, um, no, I, I'm i really conflicted at the moment with Smith Rose because, like you say, those moments he brought to what are we, the 2021, 20, 22 season? When, all right, we missed out on the Champions League, but the, the Saka Smith Rose song, he was as equal to what Saka was doing on the right hand side that he was doing on the left. Martinelli worked his way into the team, and Martinelli's been a force of nature ever since. And unfortunately, Smith Rowe's been the full guy for that. I hope he can he can get it back, but I don't really see much indication at the moment. I mean, I, where 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 in the next five games are you seeing Smith Rowe getting meaningful minutes? Because I'm not, and then we're into November, and all of a sudden you're you're wondering what's going on.
0: Yeah, uh, I did a piece earlier today on um, how you know it might be it might just be one of those things we have to be okay with that Smith Rowe will move on um and you know as i said with players like Iwobi, uh willock we've not necessarily you know even balogun i know he's done some decent things at monaco already but i'm not missing him you know i'm not no, thinking given, that was a,
1: and given the ffp situation if someone said to you right now right he's million. He's, he's yeah he's 40 50 million for Emil smith Rowe, you can you can now you've now got the ability to go and buy pedro neto in january I don't think I'd turn that down. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know Someone offer
0: me fifty million for Smith Rowe. I'm very tempted to take that. Very tempted indeed. I don't know who's offering that, which I think tells you kind of where we're at with Smith Rowe. Um, but uh, yeah.
1: Chelsea signed another enough number tens. over uh, yeah, I'm
0: sure <laughs> Chelsea have got fifty million there. <laughs> Somewhere down the back of the sofa, Tom Bowley's whipping out 50 million, uh, maybe. Newcastle the team that are being talked about at the moment. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. But they were talked a lot about Kieran Tierney, and nothing materialised in the end. So, yeah, let's, uh, let's wait and see. Uh, last question from, uh, I like this, from Barry. Uh, nice way to end this. In an ideal world, what profile of player do you feel would elevate Arsenal even more than they are right now? Really difficult.
1: No, it's really difficult. I, I don't know. I I like what you were saying before about more speed inside, but then that comes into play when when that is needed. I mean, at, at the moment, as much as there's been the whole sort of hoo-ha over the goalkeeping situation, you, you look at that and go, well, wouldn't need another goalkeeper. I don't know in which area of the pitch. I'm going to pass this over to you, Tom, because I don't know in which area of the pitch, for me... Arsenal screaming yeah. out and needing a player because everyone talks about the centre forward but for mm. me we've got we've got Jesus who as you said before he's the glue is the guy who brings it Next. all together the connects exactly yeah. uh, Eddie, Eddie Nketiah I'm I'm a fan of you know I'm, I'm signed up to the Eddie Nketiah fan club and I even think someone like Kai Havertz if we want to play with a, a real false nine who can do that linking role supply layoffs for the like of Martinelli to smash into Nathan Ake's face we've kind of got We've kind of got got it. I, I feel at the moment the balance of the squad is just right and you don't really need to start throwing players into it because you're playing fantasy football to upset the balance of it.
0: I, re- I really think that, you know, the only player that, you know, from outside I look at and go is is if we can get an equivalent to Erling Haaland that's just a goal machine. Like that's that's the only way I'd go. What I would say, and it's funny because George has actually put the answer in the chat box, is I think we've already got the player that might elevate us and he's just not available at the moment and that's Urian Timber. I think Yuri and Timber will elevate this team. Um, and I think that his absence is is a real pain and it would have been exciting to see. But, you know, maybe maybe it ends up being a weird blessing that he's had like, this time to settle in England and he's, you know, not been playing football. He's been, you know, settled. He's got a lot of family here. They're always here watching his games. Um, I see him after games and he's got all of his family with Timber shirts on. Um, and uh, I always try and catch him after. I'm like, how you feeling? Like, is it going all right? And he's like, yeah. Just <laughs> gives the thumbs up. Never gives anything more than that. But uh, I think that he will bring some really, some something different. You know, I think he offers something different to Ben Wyatt. I used to think that you couldn't play Zinchenko and Timber together. But now I look at Partey and Rice playing in midfield together and I think actually you've got enough defensive coverage there. I think you might be able to play Timber and Zinchenko. Together, and it might not necessarily unbalance things in the same are way we, that I initially thought it would. Are we
1: seeing timber exclusively as a fullback then, or could he play centre half it, it as well? Could or... he play mid?
0: Could he play? Yeah, DM? could he play midfield? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I genuinely think there's the technical ability is without a doubt. But there. I mean, when
1: you, when you look at when you look at like the beginning of the season and what Ben White was playing centre back, but still doing that kind of mad overlapping mm. right back thing, and Party was stepping into midfield. I mean. If there came a time where almost you you look to do that in another way, where you allow timber almost maybe 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 could timber develop into almost a John Stones type character that City have that starts at centre back, steps into midfield, controls the game from there, steps back into a defensive formation when we need to get men back. I mean, I, I I'm with you. I think he he could be really fun. Um, for this team to just open the tactical I think I think he holds the key to to unlock, unlocking a tactical war chest for for what Arsenal yeah. could do um, and at the moment we've reverted maybe back more to type of last season hey it was successful for the mo- most part of the season so there's, there's no point to discredit it but I think with Timber coming back when he does hopefully let's not put too much pressure on him but hopefully yeah he he, he could offer a lot of a lot of different solutions
0: He recovers quickly, and the earliest projections are March, um, which means you could have him for the last two and a bit months of the season if indeed that is that quick. Worst-case scenario is we don't see him to next season. Um, but if he was to say come back, it could be a massive boost. Like, you know, the classic cliche, like a new signing. It would be like towards the end of the season. So, yeah, I think you're well, right. What you're saying yeah. is
1: this season began at Wembley in the community Shield, and it's going to end at Wembley in the Champions League finals. <laughs> Ooh,
0: what a story. <laughs> <laughs> well, someone's, someone's yeah, you never know, mate. You never know. I tell you what, as a, for the first season, I'm going to Champions League games, home and away, and stuff like that. You know, when I look, I didn't know it was at Wembley, and I was like, oh, well, if we were to get, you know, to a Champions League, I'm not exotic place. I'm off. Oh no, North London. <laughs> yeah, <just laughs> we'll be at Wembley again. Um, but no, I think it's great, I um, Thank you so much for your time, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure to catch up and have a chat about Arsenal once again. I hope to do it again soon. But tell people they can find you and what you're up to.
1: Uh, yeah, you can find me on X on Twitter, uh, at GuyClark05. That's the best place to to find me. And, uh, yeah, I'm spending my days making podcasts at The Athletic and, and otherwise uh, following Preston North End around, commentating on their matches between, of course, catching the Arsenal.
0: Uh, massive thank you to Guy. As he said, you can find him. Uh, on the social media, I just call it social media these days. I'm so sorry yeah. not calling it the right thing. Uh, <laughs> at Guy Clark05, uh, you'll find him there and uh, he's certainly worth a follow. And uh, the fun, fantastic, some brilliant podcasts over, obviously, at The Athletic. Uh, Guy was a big part of helping us uh, at Football London and the Arsenal way. So, you know, we've built that up. You know, he's done some great work at The Athletic as well. So, a massive thank you to you guys listening in the chat box as well, and those listening and catching up on audio platforms leave a like subscribe if you're listening on those audio platforms on itunes specifically you can leave us a five-star review and give us your thoughts on why you like the podcast so much um but i'll be back of course tomorrow morning bright and early as always at 8 a.m to give you all the latest arsenal news from the last 24 hours have a fantastic evening morning afternoon wherever you happen to be in the world and we'll see you again very soon and as always up the arsenal
1: Upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's slash upgrade.
0: This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Talk Sport powered by fans.